In Good Housekeeping magazine, Lois Weiss sought to answer this very important question. How to know a man before you marry him? I think we would all say that is very, very vital for a young woman, and obviously the reverse is true as well. Uh, how to know uh, a young woman before you marry her. But let's notice this answer to this question. Here's what Lois Weiss said. Watch him drive in heavy traffic. You'll learn how patient he is and if he has self-control. Uh, the second one, play tennis with him. Because you'll learn how competitive he is if he has to win. And is he a sore loser? Number three, listen to him talk to his mother when he doesn't know you're listening. Because the way a man talks to and treats his mother is how he will talk to and treat you. Number four, see how he treats those who serve him, waiters and maids. Is he kind to those type of people when they mess up or delay? Number five, notice what he's willing to spend his money to buy. Because where his money goes... That's what he values. And what he values is going to affect your marriage. And then finally, number six, says Lois Weiss, is look at his friends. Because we become like the people we hang with. Now, I would say all of this is tremendous counsel. And I would also say this morning here, we can never know everything about a future marriage partner. There are always surprises after we say, I do. Ellen discovered that I was not exactly like her father, and that was a surprise. And we've spent many, many years working through that together. But there are some things we better know about the person we're going to marry. Because if we don't know these very critical things, we are going to be marrying at great risk. And so this morning, as we come to the third and final message in this chapter in our studies in the life of Abraham, Genesis 24, we want to come to the final conclusion here of how to marry the right person. And this morning, I would invite you again to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 24. And remember that we've been looking at these very important principles about marriage. And this morning, we want to look at the last two. Now, very briefly here, I want to talk about the counsel principle. And the counsel principle is seek the blessing of those who recognize God's will. The last part of this entire episode and narrative of finding a wife for Isaac is about getting the blessing of the family of Rebekah. And I want you to notice in verse 60 that they eventually gave their blessing for Rebekah to marry Isaac. Look what it says, verse 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, now this was a normal family blessing that you find in the Old Testament. You find this 
as with uh, somebody like Ruth, for instance. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Clearly here, Rebecca got the blessing of her family. Let me just make a few comments about this. It is very wise to seek the blessing of both families in your relationship. Here's what I tell couples as we're working through premarriage counseling. I tell them, you marry a family. You don't just marry an individual, you marry into a family. And to the best of your ability, you want to try to cultivate peace with that family. Now, no parents and no in-laws are perfect. And we all know that families are very different and it takes time to adjust to one another. But if your parents and your in-laws are adequate people, do all you can to involve them in your relationship from the very beginning of that relationship. You see, you need all the support that your marriage can get. And the blessing of both of your families is a key element of helping your marriage succeed. And if there is a problem in those relationships, it should not be because of you. You should do all that you can to seek that blessing in your relationship as soon as you start dating one another. Now let's look finally this morning at the character principle. And this is where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Here's the character principle. Marry a person with godly character from the Lord. That's what you're looking for in your dating experience. I want to marry somebody who's exhibiting godly character, and I want to know that godly character is coming from the Lord. Now this morning, I want to go back and read verses 15 down to verse 21. And I want you to follow along in Genesis 24, and here's what I want you to do as I read. You say to yourself, what jumps off the page about the character of Rebecca. So let me read, and then you try to discern what do I see about the character of this young woman. Before he had finished speaking, and this is the servant who's been sent 450 miles to find a wife for Isaac, and he has said, Lord, if she says, uh, let me give you a drink and let me give water to your camels, may she be the one. Notice before he finished that prayer, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up from the spring. 
Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I want you to notice here, the very first thing we see about Rebecca in verse 16 is the young woman was very attractive in appearance. Now why is this said here? The answer is true. The Bible gives us the facts and tells us what is true. So the Bible is just simply reflecting here the facts about the appearance of Rebecca. But here's the important thing. Of the four descriptions of her in verse 16, beauty is only one. And it's not the most important. The entire narrative does not focus on her beauty, but on her character. Is that not the most critical thing? Of course it is. What would Hollywood do with this? I don't even need to say. The critical thing here is not her beauty. It is her character. Which leads me then to ask a very important question, and that is how do you discover character? If you're interested in somebody and maybe you think, I'd like to date this person and they perhaps might be a, a good marriage partner for me in the future, how do you discover their character? Well, I want you to notice the text gives us a couple of answers. Number one, you watch carefully for character. You watch carefully. Uh, look at verse 21 again. The man gazed at her in silence to learn about her. What was he looking for? He was looking for character. You see, outward appearance is immediate. You can see that immediately. And we all try our very best to present ourselves in our most attractive fashion. But character takes time. What's interesting here in verse 21 is it delays the action. As we're reading through the narrative and all this uh, is, is developing, all of a sudden we get to 21 and it delays the action. The word gaze here is actually a past tense. It's a durative. It means he was gazing. We're going to see in just a moment this went on for well over uh, an hour and a half as he was watching 
Rebecca. What was he doing? He was examining her character. There's a very well-worn expression that comes out of England. It's been around for many years, but it's worth repeating. Marry in haste, repent at leisure. Marry in haste, repent at leisure. The most foolish thing anyone can do is to be in a hurry because it takes time to watch for character. When I first dated Ellen, I'd been observing her, hearing about her for quite a while. And on the first date, we were in our 30s, we pretty much knew what we were looking for, but I waited for a year because I wanted to observe her and she needed to observe me. That's so very important. And then I want you to notice the second thing. Look for the source of character. And it needs to be character that comes from a relationship with the Lord. Now I want you to read sometime again through all 67 verses of this chapter and you'll find the word go appears 10 times. Go appears 10 times. When Rebecca says, I will go at the end of the chapter, verse 58, and she is saying now, yes, I'll go and I'll marry Isaac. That was more than just going on a journey. Rebecca was going where the Lord wanted her to go. When she says, I will go, it is a faith commitment to God. And go in the Old Testament is often a covenant word that means I want to obey God and I want to follow him. And I want to go God's way, not my way. Now here's a wonderful verse that puts this so very clearly together. Look at this verse, Psalm 143.8. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my Life. Look carefully. That's where character comes from. Character comes from the person who has entrusted their life to the Lord and now is saying, because I'm in a faith relationship with you, Lord, I want to go your way. I'm no longer wanting to go my way. I'm wanting to follow your way. Do you know what kind of character your spouse has today? Tomorrow? Next year? Five years from now? Ten years from now? Thirty-two years from now for Ellen and me? We'll always be based on this. Have we entrusted our life to the Lord and therefore, in spite of our many failings and many weaknesses, are sincerely endeavoring to go his way? That is a person who throughout their life will be developing the character God wants them to develop.
Now, as we look a little closer now at Rebecca, what kind of character do we see in her that we want in a person that we would marry someday? What are the things that stand out? Well, let's look at them, shall we? All right. Here are the character traits that stand out, and notice the first one. Committed to sexual purity, not impurity. Notice how, as we look at this woman, that heads the list. Verse 16 says, she was a maiden whom no man had known. Now the word maiden there is a word that means virgin. It means a, a woman of marriageable age. Uh, Rebecca was a teenager, very likely at this point, but she was physically mature. And when it says no man had known her, that is a discreet way to say she had saved herself for her wedding night. That's what that means. Notice again, the first statement of her character. This tells me something very, very important. Sexual immorality is a warning of deficient character. The whole Bible teaches this. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. And whenever the Bible gives us a command and we want to know, well, why? Why should I do that? God is more than pleased to tell us why. And notice what Peter says is the reason why we should flee sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2.11, look what he says. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? They war against your soul. Take notice, says the Lord. Fleshly lusts, if you indulge in them, will war against your soul. They will corrupt the soul. They will corrode the character that God wants you to develop. This is why people living together before marriage have lower chances of stable marriages. Now our culture says very much the opposite. They say get to know each other. Have a test run, so to speak. See if you're compatible. But all the studies show just the opposite. Here's one that was printed in the Mining Journal not long ago. I wish every young person had read the Mining Journal that day and had read this. Listen to this question written in. My boyfriend and I both come from broken homes. We want to make sure we don't end up divorced like our parents, so we're planning on living together before marriage to test our compatibility is that a good approach? And here's the answer from Focus on the Family, right out of the Mining Journal. 
The best research indicates that couples who live together before marriage have a 50% higher divorce rate than those who don't. Why would you do something that increases your chances of divorce by 50%? These couples also have higher rates of domestic violence. They're more likely to become involved in sexual affairs. Cohabitation lacks a key element of what makes a successful marriage formally expressed commitment. And we all know where that commitment takes place. It takes place in a legal wedding ceremony. Before you go to the marriage bed. Now, commitment is a character issue, isn't it? It's a character issue. And if it is lacking, there will also be other character issues. No question about it. Now, I can hear someone here this morning saying, me, Pastor, it's too late for me. Pastor, I've, I've already lost my virginity and and I'm sexually active, what, what would you say to me? I would say repent. Ask Christ to forgive you. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Then commit to being pure from this day forward, and then prevent situations that tempt you to be sexually impure. And if you need help from others, get that help. I've helped many couples that I planned to officiate at their weddings, restore their purity. And I've said to them, now that you have decided to repent and ask for forgiveness, God can restore your purity and you can stand at that altar and you can feel I'm clean and right before each other and God. And I've never seen a couple who regretted that. Now notice the second aspect of her character. Number two. You want to marry somebody who is a giver, not a taker. That's very, very critical. Twice in verse 18 and 20, it says that Rebecca acted quickly when she watered these camels. Once it says in verse 20, she ran to do this. By the way, if you're tracking in Genesis, it's the same two words to describe Abraham in chapter 18 when these strangers arrived, and he acted quickly, and he ran to give them this multi-course meal. Now, Rebecca does the very same thing with this stranger. What is that telling us? She has character like Abraham. And then in verse 19, she says... I am going to water your camels until they have finished drinking. How many of us know the kind of work involved in that? And that's not what he asked. Back in verse 14, he said, Lord, just let her water my camels. He didn't ask 
until they finish drinking. I think he knew that's more than to ask anybody to do. Why did she do that? Rebecca was a giver, not a taker. How many would agree if there's one thing you do in marriage, you give? One person over here agrees. <laughs> How many would agree if there's one thing you do in marriage, you give? Listen, there are two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. And before you marry, you better tell the difference. If two takers marry, oh my goodness, is their marriage in trouble. If one person's a giver and the other person is a taker, the giver is going to be unhappy and frustrated. But if two givers get married, they will bless the socks off of each other. And by the way, that's the kind of marriage you want, where you're both blessing the socks off of one another. Now, you might say to me, Pastor, how do you discover if the person you're interested in is a, is a giver? Well, Rebecca gives us some clues. Look at verse 19. The Bible is so practical. You want to discover character? You want to know, is someone a giver, not a taker? How do you do that? Well, here's the answer. Look at verse 19. Here are three characteristics of a giver. Number one, a giver volunteers to help rather than has to be told to help. She said of her own volitional free will, I will draw water for the camels. She volunteered that. Number two, a giver does more than is asked for, not less. She wasn't asked to do this. All she was asked was to give him a drink. And now she volunteers to do more. And then finally, number three, a giver sticks with what they volunteered for until it's done, no matter how hard it is. Look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking. Here are three ways you can discern the character of whether or not the person you want to marry is a giver instead of a taker. They volunteer to help rather than have to be told to help. They do, they do more than they're asked for, not less. And they stick with what they volunteered for rather than quit when it becomes very difficult. If you've ever seen someone married to a taker, you know all the signs were there. And you say, how could they have missed these signs? They were all there. And the answer is, the reason they missed it is they were focused on other things, fleeting, superficial things. Character takes time to see. Here's the third one. Third evidence of her character, and you want this in your marriage, is a hard worker. Not lazy. 
Verse 20 says, she drew for all his camels. Now we pass over that. An Old Testament reader would not pass over that. Pastor Kent Hughes puts together what's going on here in a wonderful way. Let me share it with you. An average thirsty camel can drink 25 gallons of water. Now this is an arid country. They've been on a trip for 450 miles. These are thirsty camels. There are 10 camels. Back in verse 10, when he left, he took 10 camels. Let me share with you what one gallon of water weighs. Eight and a third pounds, one gallon. Now, there are 10 camels. They all can drink 25 gallons. That's 250 gallons. Multiply that by what one gallon weighs, and this whole thing was over 2,000 pounds. Now, she very likely had a three-gallon jug because that's what women would take to the well to get water in. So you realize what this means? 83 trips. And the well had steps. She went down to get the spring water that was below the surface and then came up the steps to put the water in the troughs for the camels and then, let me add this, camels can drink 25 gallons in 10 minutes. That's 100 minutes. This job easily took one and a half to two hours of sweaty, hard work. Let's just say it. This is enormous hard work. And she's a teenager. And she's cheerful and kind to boot. I can hear somebody say, where, where, where can I find someone like this? Remember, God led the servant to her. Now, let me just ask you, why is this last one important? Here's why. Here's why. Laziness and complaining are twins, aren't they? Laziness and complaining are twins. When things are hard, the lazy person blames others, and complains. But hard workers take action to solve problems. Hard workers take initiative. They're positive. Lazy people give up easy. When things get too tough, the lazy person quits. But hard workers persevere. They believe, if I keep at it, I can eventually conquer. And we all know it takes a lot of hard work and perseverance to make a marriage work, right? And so if someone is a hard worker because the Lord wants them to be that way, they'll put the hard work into your marriage. 
how wonderfully helpful the Bible is. We watch for character. We look for the source of character in a person's walk with God. And then it even tells us, here's some of the critical things. You must have. And a good mate. In one of his sermons, Billy Graham referenced this question. The question that he referenced was this, what's the key to a successful marriage? His answer was, two good forgivers. How about this? What's the key to successful marriage? How about two people committed to sexual purity? How about two people who are givers, not takers? How about two hard workers? How about two people that walk with the Lord and develop his character? Those are the things that are the keys to successful marriage. Let's bow our heart together, shall we, and ask the Lord to burn those things deeply into our lives. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're just waiting before the Lord, maybe in your heart you know you have some decisions you need to make. Maybe it's a decision to surrender by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. To truly receive him as Savior and Lord. And then to say, now Lord, that I've entrusted my life to you, I'm going your way. I know it won't be easy. I know I'll fail. I know there will be weaknesses that I will have to deal with. but I'm going your way. And today I repent. I put my faith and trust in my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite him into my heart and life to be my Lord, my King, the one who forgives me, the one who gives me new life, who makes me a member of the family of God. And to this day, thanking him now, I will follow him. Maybe there are some things you need to start thinking differently about who you're going to date, what your standards are. These are my standards. I'm not giving them up. I want a person of character. I want a person who knows the Lord. I, I want to be that kind of person myself. And maybe today for you, there's a resolve in your standards, in what you're looking for. And maybe you would also say, Lord, 
as much as I want to find the right person, far more important, help me to be the right person. That's the greater thing. Lord, hear our prayers today. For Jesus' sake. Amen.